Community of Faith, I love that we've got some of our new T-shirts and stuff out because you are the best advertisement that we have. So you grab some of those, and when people ask you, tell them all about what's going on, okay? But remember that you have the shirt on, okay? Don't forget that. Uh, I always, uh, not long ago, I saw one of those uh, bumper shirts, honk if you love Jesus, and I went up beside him, and the guy flipped me off, and I was thinking, I don't think that you remember what your bumper sticker is. <laughs> so remember, it says community of faith somewhere on there. Community of faith, Micah 6, 8. God says, let me tell you, O mortal, what is good. I want you to act justly. I want you to love mercy, and I want you to walk humbly with me. And that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to learn how to do that. And you are already doing that in so many different ways. Because at Community Faith, we don't just talk about our belief. We live it out. And that's what I love about you. We give our lives and our resources to change the world. Because remember this, what we believe, we practice. Everything else is just religious talk. What we believe, we practice. Everything else is just religious talk. I want us to be those that are out there doers of the word like the Bible talks about. So let's do that together. That's what it means to say, I am community of faith. Paul is talking about an area of our lives today as we look at it that sometimes causes us to kind of bow up and bow our shoulders. He's talking about giving. And you know, I used to like cringe. I don't want to talk about giving because, you know, you see all these televangelists, you know, misusing it, you know, send me a dollar and I'll send you this prayer rag and it'll be a hundred dollars before, you know, but what I realized is that because giving is putting up our resources into heaven where Jesus said, he's going to give us a hundred times over, which is 10,000% interest. If I'm not mistaken, um, I thought some of you are going to be really mad at me for like a couple of billion years if I don't talk about it sometimes. So we need to talk about it. Paul talks about it, but he says it from a whole different perspective. So I want you to listen, unbow your shoulders a little bit, relax a little bit, breathe deep. Verse six of 2 Corinthians chapter nine, Paul says this, but I say this to encourage your generosity. The one who plants little harvests little, and the one who plants plenty harvests plenty. That's... Paul saying that actually a lot of what's entrusted to you in your life comes from the fact of what you do with what's already been entrusted to you. That God is wanting to open up channels into his kingdom to make a difference in this world, in this poor, old, broken down world of ours, that he's wanting us to be channels for him. It's a simple axiom. It's a farming axiom. And, you know, any farmer could tell you, yeah, if you just plant a little bit of seed, you're just going to get a little harvest. If you plant a lot of seed, the chances of getting a lot more harvest, it's, it's night and day. But God says it also applies when it comes to me. It's a law that I've built into the universe that when you give to God, you reap a harvest greater than what you gave. The question for us this morning is, do I believe that? Do I really believe in the promise of God? in the power of God. Verse seven goes on. Giving grows out of the heart. Otherwise, you've reluctantly grumbled yes because you felt you had to or because you couldn't say no. But this isn't the way God wants it. For we know that God loves a cheerful giver. 
I love this verse because this verse helps us to understand how you do it. It says, not because you felt you had to. Some versions say in English, not grudgingly. But what it really means in the original language, uh, the Greek language of the New Testament, when you see this, it means when someone puts the thumb on you. You ever been at a place and it's almost like you feel the pressure to give, you know? And, and then they're showing pictures of these, these little poor kids, you know, with flies and all kinds of stuff and their ribs showing. And, and, and I know that's out there. We don't do that at Community of Faith because we want you to give not under pressure. In fact, let me just tell you something. If you ever are at a place and they start doing that, I want you to tell them, my pastor, Mark Shook, told me not to give anything to you because you're putting the thumb down on me, all right? The second part, it, it, it says, or not because you feel that you have to. That's kind of an inside thing, but it's for the wrong motive. It's like, yeah, I'm kind of scared. I mean, business is going pretty good. I'm afraid if I don't give to God, he's going to crush me or something. Because God says, that's not how I want you to do it. If you give like that, don't give because it doesn't do any good. But he says, God loves a cheerful giver. Now, it's not always easy when you first start learning how to do it to be like cheerful, you know, but it is if you understand the promises of God, if you trust his heart. And it's so interesting. There's no other verse in the Bible like this that says God loves a special group of people. You know, we know God loves the whole world. He said, for God so loved the world. I know that he loves believers in a special way because they stepped in and they're his children now. But of his children, he has a special group of people that he just has a lot of affection for. And that is the ones that are cheerful givers because they've learned a secret. They're trying to be like God because God gives generously to all of us. The Bible says every good gift comes from above, from our father, the father of lights, who loves to give. And so when we start to make a difference around the globe in people's lives, he loves it. I think that um, the next verse is one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. Verse eight, God is ready to overwhelm you with more blessings than you could ever imagine so that you'll always be taken care of in every way and you'll have more than enough to share. God is ready. Did you know that? Doesn't feel like he's ready, Mark. I mean, it seems like it's been so sparse and I've had such lack and I, I, it's so, I mean, scarce things. I mean, resources, he's ready. So what you have to do is open up the conduit for that. And you do that by giving, not under compulsion, not because, oh, I probably need, I just have to do it, but because you're praying, you're saying, God, you know, I really want to believe you. I really want to see you in action. Giving is the only thing that God ever said, test me. You know, if you want to know that God's real, that's how you do it. You test him. And he said, I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing in Malachi. He said that I'm going to do that as you begin to get generous. I'm going to get really generous with you. And I love this idea of enoughness. He goes on, you know, to say that you'll be taken care of in every way and have more than enough to share. This idea that we have enough for us, but also it's 
enough to share. There was a guy in one of my dad's early churches. I was a preacher's kid, you know, and preacher's kids, I know, they're always the worst. You already know that, right? But, you know, we would be like the little church rats running around. But I did notice people. And there was this one guy by the name of Jack Seymour. He was just a single guy, really humble. He was a school teacher. And he just lived by himself. I mean, I don't know what all his issues were or anything, you know. I don't know if, why he was single, but um, he had never married. He was just the most humble guy. Like, you would just talk to him, and he would just, he was, he was nice. He seemed normal, and he was just uh, really humble. But you know what I found out? I heard my mom and dad talking. Jack Seymour gave more to that church than almost anybody, all the wealthy people in the church. And he lived really simple. He lived with enoughness. And when he died, he, like, willed like a million dollars to the church. I don't even know how you do that on a teacher's salary, but... Um, it, it's just, he had saved and saved and he was all going to God's kingdom. And I always think of him, like when we get to heaven, the Bible says, you know, the first will be last and the last will be first. Nobody knew who he was, even in the church hardly. But I think when we get to heaven, we're gonna see him up there, right there by, by Jesus. You know, some of you, you're, you're so humble and, and you give so generously and you don't even, you know, come up and, and, and introduce yourself to me. I have to find you some other way sometimes, you know, but I, I just think there's gonna be people up there that are gonna be like, I knew them back at Community of Faith. I knew them. Look at them now. This is crazy. Maybe some big televangelist or something, depending on their motives for what they're doing, might be at the end of the line. You don't know. You, we judge from a human perspective, but God doesn't. And he judges not based on, the amount that we give, but, you know, based on what, how we do it from what we have. And that's how he begins to open up those things. So you can begin to know that about God. Verse nine goes on to, to talk about that. Remember what is written about the one who trusts in the Lord. He scattered abroad. He gave freely to the poor. His righteousness endures throughout the ages. If you want to leave a legacy that goes through the ages, I mean, we've just seen it in, in so many different ways. We've actually, as a church, poured millions of dollars into Burundi. And most people on, in America don't even know there's a country called Burundi, much less where it is. But it's in the middle of Africa, right by Rwanda and the Congo. It's one of the poorest countries on the planet. And we're working with the poorest people in Burundi. They make an average of $100 a year, the Batwa people. And I'll never forget when we met them about a decade ago. I was in Rwanda for a conference. Claude Nikondeha, who's now on our staff and has our nonprofit that we, we use in Burundi uh, called Communities of Hope. He's over all of that for us. Um, he said, you want to go to my country? It's right next door. And Leaving Rwanda, going into Burundi, it was night and day. Just, I mean, you could tell there was, was just such a, a lack of money and stuff and resources in Burundi. And he said, would you like to go visit one of the Batwa people? They used to be called the Pygmies. They're the little people. And he said, I've never actually gone. I've lived in Burundi all my life, but I've never actually gone to a Batwa village because they didn't really consider them as being people. But he had them on his heart. So I said, sure. 
So I remember we're driving down this road and our driver's going like 90 miles an hour, just flying down this little two lane road in Burundi that's not a very good road. And I said, dude, I got my whole family back here. You need to slow down. And he goes, oh, I'm so sorry, pastor. It was just that last night, um, you know, the government forces and the enemy guerrillas, they were shooting back and forth across this road. And I said, speed up, man. What are you doing? Why are you going so slow? I had no idea Claude was taking me out into the Civil War, you know. But we got to this, this hill, and it was just an old dusty place. There was, I mean, just rocks and dust. And there was this group of people. There was about 3,000 of them in this little group of the Batwa. And because we pulled up, they began to dance, and they began to sing. And I didn't realize, but they're singing about us. They don't know us. They didn't even know we were coming. But they start singing. If you, if you ever go there, they're going to make up a song about you. You might not want to know what it is, you know. But it, it's, it, it's going to be an amazing, amazing song. One of our ladies that went that was, she's, she's a little bit on the larger side. Um, when she was there among them, they made up a song about her. But they would always, they called her the queen because, and they would stick their hands. She had a little bit of fat fold there, you know. And they you must be a queen, and she said, I'm moving to Burundi. I'm coming to Burundi. This is crazy great. But, you know, they, they were singing this song. I didn't know it was about us. And I began to talk through Claude in Kurundi. Uh, he was speaking to the chief. And, and I asked him what his name was. And he said, well, my parents call me. And he said, in Kurundi, no name. They said, you're a Batwa. You're not ever going to amount to anything. There's no point in giving you a name. You're worthless. We're all worthless. And he's their chief. And he told me the whole world has forgotten us. Everyone's forgotten. We're the forgotten people. God has forgotten us. The world doesn't know we exist. And God just spoke into my heart really strongly in that moment and brought to my mind the verses in Isaiah where he says, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. I know your name. And I told him, I said, God hasn't forgotten you. In fact, He's written your name on the palm of his hand, and he's given you a name. And there's a little church, because this was a decade ago, there's a little church in Cyprus that's not going to forget you either. And I promised him that. And since then, I mean, it was weird because no government agency, no one had been working with these people. We came in and started to work with them, and God's done all of these miracles. We walk with them in business. We keep it really even. We don't want it to be like, oh, we're helping you out. You know, us great people from America. We just say, we believe in you. We walk with you. And it's been amazing to watch what God has done. Only two out of 10 of their kids were living to age five. So, you know, just 20%. And now it's like the, the percentage is like 99.95%. We've lost like one kid in the last seven years. And they're having so many kids. Um, and they're prospering in such a mighty way. It's just incredible. We hired one lady to help us with some family planning, you know, teach them a little about birth control, but she got pregnant, so that didn't work out. But it's so cool because they're kids, and, and you know, they are the little people. Like, one of my dreams was to teach them to play basketball because I could be Shaquille O'Neal finally in my life, you know, and, and we put the goals at eight feet, and, you know, that never worked out either, but I don't think that was a God dream. But, <clears throat> you know, I, I, uh, I was just amazed to see 
what they've done as we've walked in business with them. And God's turned their whole situation around. There's a hospital there now that focuses on um, from conception through like year two and in the baby's lives. And that's what's keeping them uh, so healthy and so alive. And we're working with about 18,000 of the Batois now. And, and we've just seen God do all these miracles. I remember, you know, they, would, they were making like $100 a year per cap, for each one per capita. The ladies, they would fire this pot. It would take like three days to mold this pot, fire it in the fire. They would walk two hours into town and sell the pot for a quarter. And they would sell like two pots a week, so like 50 cents a week if they were doing good. And I don't, I don't, how can you live on that? I don't think you can. But now they've started all these businesses. I thought, oh no, you know, things have flipped around. And, and I thought, we've, I hope we don't Americanize them because now they'll take, you know, the, the Batwa, the Hutus, and the Tutsis are the three tribes there. And the Hutus and the Tutsis have treated the Batwa so terribly. But the Batwa just keep loving on everybody. And it's amazing. It's crazy. They're giving them jobs. And, you know, our bank in Bujumbura is working with all three tribes. And you've started over 200,000 jobs in Burundi in these last, this last decade, which is unheard of. It's changing the whole economy of Burundi, and everyone has stood up and taking notice. That's why the United Nations is wanting to work with us there now. But what was so interesting, we gave to one group of the Batwa a $500,000 loan from our church. And I wanted it to be a loan because I wanted it to be in business with them. We've given them a lot of other things when we build the hospital or an orphanage or we, we built the, the, you know, the factory that makes the fortified porridge. Those kind of things we don't charge them for at all because now you're giving all these kids in the Congo and Rwanda and Burundi fortified porridge. And that's another reason why they're living so healthily. But they, we gave them this $500,000 loan and I kind of calculated they make $100 a year. They'll pay us back in like 8,000 years, you know. They paid us back in five years. Can you imagine that? And they, they've got this beautiful land now that's got rivers flowing through it. And it's on one of the, these hills. There's three hills. One is Hutu tribe, the Batwa tribe, the Tutsi tribe. And recently, the, the Hutus and the Tutsis, there's a judge for each hill that governs the area, three judges. And they came and said, we need a Batwa judge on our hill too, and a Batwa judge on this hill too, because they're the only ones that are impartial. We're always just take care of our own tribe and our own self. And it's amazing to see that. So God's done this, this, this amazing stuff, but the first baby born on that new land, you know what they named her? Irabuka. In Karundi, it means God remembers. God remembers. And even as she's growing up now, and she's, you know, getting, getting close to teenage years and stuff. It's like just seeing her, God remembers and you remembered and you were his hands and feet. You see, I think if we do church the way that he wants us to do church, long after we're dead and gone, there are going to be, there's going to be a changed country over there in Africa, the poorest country on the planet. There's going to be little girls that are pulled out of sex trafficking here in Houston, also in India, where we're doing the same thing in a powerful way. Long after we're gone, they're going to keep doing this. They're going to be young men that stand up for God in, in their generation in Costa Rica at the orphanage that 
that you've, you built that orphanage before we ever built a building. It cost us $200,000. We didn't have it, but you did that first. And I thought, we're never going to get in a building, but this is more important. Also at Miracle Farm out here, right out in Chapel Hill, they're going to be standing strong. And we're going to see God do some amazing things if we just say, hey, we just want to open up the spigots. We just want to open up the channel. And it's, I'm talking about each and every one of us. You know, a lot of times we look around and say, well, they got money. I hope they can do it because that's going to make a big difference. I can't. God doesn't look at it that way ever. He just says, you open up. It might be you that he wants to bless like that. I'm not one of those prosperity guys that says, give God a dollar and you'll get a hundred dollars and all that kind of stuff. But it says in the scripture that he is ready to pour out blessings. He wants to, but we limit him so much of the time. There's a man in our congregation that had a a vision that there's going to be some lean years, seven lean years, like in the the book of Genesis uh, around the world, and especially it's going to affect the really poor of the world. And he said, I just feel like we need to do something about that. Well, it's so interesting because the Batwa had the same vision, and they asked if we could help them build silos to store grain in because they have so much extra grain and they want to store it for the lean years. Wouldn't that be amazing if all of Burundi and the Congo and Rwanda come to the Batwa people for food when there's lean years, if that's what God has? It's going to be this amazing thing that God just keeps doing and keeps doing and keeps doing. The church will be around long after we're gone. Listen to verse 10. He's saying financial giving aligns your life with God's agenda. The same one who has put seeds into the hand of the sower and brought bread to fill our stomachs will provide and multiply the resources you invest and produce an abundant harvest from your righteous actions. It's just ever expanding, ever expanding. Verse 11, you will be made rich in everything so that your generosity will spill over in every direction. Through us, your generosity is at work, inspiring praise and thanksgiving to God. So the path to enoughness and even more than enoughness so that it spills over as we give to God and God continues to give back to us and he enriches us in everything, not just money and so many other things. But remember, you have to do it generously in your heart without compulsion and not saying, oh, I'm scared of God, or what do people think? You know, if I don't give, they might not think I'm a good Christian. That's all off the table, right? Verse 12, for this mission will do more than bring food and water to fellow believers in need. It will overflow in in a cascade of praises and thanksgiving for our God. It's already happening in Burundi. We've walked in friendship with them, and they, they keep saying, why do you do this? Why do you care about us? And we tell them what Jesus has done for us. And they've become believers. And now they're starting churches. I mean, they've started so many churches I didn't even know about. All these little community of faiths all over that part of Burundi. And they're trying to get into the Congo now. And Congo's really pretty scary right now. And they treat Batwa awful. They've killed a lot of the Batwa off just to take land and stuff. And, and, but they're getting there. He goes on to say, it is proof of your faith. See what we believe. We practice. And everything else is just 
religious talk. Many people will praise God because you obey the good news of Christ. The gospel you say you believe and because you freely share with them and with all others. The gospel we say we believe. I am community of faith. What I believe, I practice. Everything else is just religious talk. Let me read you a letter. My dear community of faith, you look hungry. Hungrier than even anything I've seen on the mission field. Because as I watched that tiny Batwa woman in Burundi in the heart of Africa, the woman with no shoes and no husband and seven kids, walk up to the front of the church and put a bag of beans into the basket as her love offering to God, my heart ached with this raw conviction that I could feel it with you, community of faith. What you really wanted, you're hungry to love God like that. You're hungry to sacrifice, even if it will cost you your Starbucks or your Netflix or your Hulu or your YouTube premium because who can stand to watch all those ads? You're hungry for more. You long for more. You're hungry for more than vanilla services and sweetened programs and watered-down lives. You're famished for more, for hard and holy things, for some real meat for your starved soul, some real dirt under your fingernails, some real sacrifice in your veins, some real Jesus in your blood and in your hands and in your feet. I'm looking into the eyes of all these little African children, all these hungry, dancing eyes, and their teacher saying, you all get to give. It's not just the rich you get to give. You don't wait until you have more before you give to God. You give now so you get to become more in God. The children are all smiling and singing as they bring their only plantain to Jesus. They just can't help it. They keep breaking into a dance, the dust rising up like clouds of praise. It's not having much that makes you rich. It's the giving much that makes you rich. Give and you are the rich. And I'm sitting under a thatched roof in Africa with the richest in the world, not Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, not Warren Buffett or Mark Zuckerberg. It's not the family with multiple cars, three flat screen televisions and a week at Disney. It's a bunch of kids in Africa in ragged t-shirts and flip-flops made out of old tires who have no knives or forks and sleep on dirt floors. It's only the people who give sacrificially who get to live richly. With tears, Laura and I returned from the mission field to America, and I saw churches who love to play at being Christian more than to actually be one and give themselves away for our lost, broken world. But community of faith, that is not us. I am standing in Cypress, Texas, and there's a church, and it is us who want hard and holy things because we want more than hollow lives. There's a church, and it is us who want our children to know the abundant life, not the American dream, a life more than selfies and cell phones and iPhones and iTunes and iPads and I love, who want them to know the abundant life of loving the least, the lonely, and the lost and of tasting and knowing that the Lord is good. Community of faith, it is time. We're all done with no risk, no sacrifice, no point lives. It is time. It is our time.
and our hearts have begun to beat in time with our Father's heart. I am a Jesus follower. I have chosen his way. I am community of faith. What we believe, we practice. Everything else is just religious talk. Would you close your eyes with me? I'm going to ask you as you prepare for our best gift offering in December that you would just ask God, what do you want me to do? And he's probably going to stretch you. One-time gift and a pledge. And that's above your regular tithes and offerings. And I know, I know it's hard times. I know what I'm asking. But this is who we are. And I'm determined on that last great day that Jesus said, we'll all stand before him. And he asked the question, I was hungry, did you feed me? I was thirsty, did you give me a drink? I was naked, did you clothe me? When you've done it for one of the least of these, you've done it unto me, that we're gonna be able to give a resounding yes. And he's gonna say, well done, my good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your master. That's my dream for you, my dream for us, my dream for community of faith that we would step in, that the end of this year and all of next year would just be something that's so life-changing as we get all in together. Let me pray for you for that. Father, I ask for each and every person within the sound of my voice, whether they're at home, sitting on their couch, driving in their car, or they're right here in this room. God, I ask that you would just so open our hearts like that, that we would see your heart, that you love to give, that you long to bless us, but we've shut that off by having a scarcity mindset, not believing there's enough to go around and hoarding it for ourselves or spending it lavishly on things that, are very little of very little importance. God, would you just break our hearts for your kingdom, for your little ones, for those all around the globe that are suffering right now, for our friends and our neighbors whose 13-year-old is struggling mightily right now, for those marriages around us that are breaking apart and they don't know you. They might live in a biggest house on the block, but they don't know you, so they're lost. We are not lost. We know you. We're found. You have found us. You have saved us. You have changed us. Let us be your hands and feet. Give us the courage to take that little molecule of faith, that little tiny ember of a flame that's deep down inside our hearts and obey you. And you promised you promised that if we would test you in this, that you would open up the windows of heaven. God, if those lean years are coming to America, let us be your church like the book of Acts that shares with each other so that no one has lack and no one has too much. God, let us be your people. God, you know we have a longing for that. We're so tired of having no purpose. We're so tired of 
trying to do it our way. We're so tired of buying into what the world says really matters. How many followers we have on social media or any of that kind of stuff. We want your way. We want to follow you. We are community of faith. What we believe, we practice. Enable us to do that. Enable us to put that into play. And I claim it. I claim your will over us, and it's a good will. But it's hard sometimes. It's a good will. But we have to step out in faith sometimes. But I know that you promised, as we do, that you would enrich us in every way so that it'll overflow and keep overflowing so that we can keep giving and keep giving and keep giving. And we will be the richest in the world. Oh, not in monetary form, but just in our hearts and the joy that we have. We'll start the joy of the master before we even get there. So we'll know what it's like to enter in on that great day. Come kingdom of God upon us. Be done will of God over us. Let nothing stop what you have in mind for us as we step into you with all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen.